With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Jeffrey Harris. Yeah, Jeff has a dog in the 
hunt, so to speak, for the World Series that's going on uh, from the East Coast. And There's I know no he's hunt, made... Robert. There's no hunt, Robert. They're winning the World Series. I respect your fandom. Uh, from the East Coast, and if memory serves, a Mets fan rather than a Yankees fan, uh, Pat Mullen is here. How you doing, Pat? Excellent, and, and Jeff may possibly be the only person happier that the Strohs took them down in seven than me. Fair enough. I, uh, literally, all right. I literally love Justin Verlander. I literally love Kate Upton, which by extension makes me love Justin Verlander, so here we are. <laughs> all right. On the list of things I didn't need to know, I just got to tick off two more boxes. I think that would, I think that would make Pat hate Justin Verlander, but, you know. Whatever. Eh. Game respects game, fellas. That's fair. <laughs> That's very fair. Fair. Uh, all right. Up first, yesterday it was morning here. I got screwed out of an hour of sleep by the UFC's constant rescheduling and deciding to postpone a fight due to safety concerns. <laughs> this was hilarious to me when I, when I read this, by the way. Yeah, there were um, – Yesterday's event, there was supposed to be a heavyweight fight between Anthony Hamilton and a Polish gentleman by the name of, I am going to screw this guy's last name up. I apologize to anyone who, I I, I do this until I hear their names actually pronounced, then I get a decent enough feel for it. Uh, Adam, uh, jeez, W's make a weird sound. Um, I'm going with Wixorek, and I know that's wrong. So please don't yell at me. However, it turns out that Mr. Wixorek does not support the uh, supports a rival soccer team of the local soccer team in um, Gdansk, Poland, and a very extreme, potentially violent group of supporters of the local soccer club showed up and were kind of harassing him and making noise about causing problems. So the U.S. If I may, basically, if everybody wants the story on why this is what it is. Go rent a movie called Green Street Hooligans. Forget the sequels. Just you'll get what the deal is with football slash soccer clubs and their fans. Yeah, uh, I, I, I understood. I just found it. Uh, this is very un-PC of me, so I apologize if this offends anyone. I found it amusing that when the UFC returned to Poland – it was the fans that the, that were potentially causing enough violence to get things rescheduled. And if you're of about my age, you probably heard more than a few um, Pollock jokes growing up, and you might understand why I found that partially amusing. But anyway, the main event, uh, Darren Till defeats Donald Cerrone via TKO in the first round. This was, uh, this was something else. I don't think Cerrone was ever really in this fight, um, which, considering it was only one round long, isn't... Donald's a slow starter. This is documented. Uh, Darren Till came out and did what he usually does. He's really good at managing distance. He's got a really good straight left hand. And Cerrone's... He struggles against guys who control inside space with their punches. Um, If you... Don't want to take my word for it. Feel free to read Jack Slack's piece on uh, the Masvidal versus Cerrone fight. He goes into great detail about it. I'd encourage you to read that anyway. But there was a lot of that. Just Till, who looked significantly larger, I, I don't think I had 
paid enough attention to how big of a welterweight Darren Till is before this. Just, you know, a lot of distance management, a lot of good straight punches that caught Cerrone. He caught him with a one-two that nearly dropped him to his seat, followed up with an elbow, flurried, got the finish, uh, badly shattered Donald's nose. Um, He posted his x-rays on, I think, Instagram, and that thing was destroyed. Uh, This was a significant... Yeah, like, not as bad as Heather Hardy, but it was bad. Yeah, Two two badly broken noses over the space of uh, you know thirty six hours or so. That was that was something. Yeah, um, Pat. Again, I know you're short on time here, Pat. So I'll start with you, um, Darren Till and Donald Cerrone. Since we didn't get to preview it, what were your thoughts potentially going into this, and what did you think of the fight itself? Yeah, I do want to apologize to everybody that my time is short tonight, and I would love to give a much more in depth um, kind of critique of this. But here's here's where we're at with this. Um, Going into the fight, I knew very little of Till. Um, I hadn't seen all that much of him. I kind of caught highlights, basically. And that's where I saw some things I liked. I liked, as Robert pointed out, that he just throws basically straight punches. Um, But there's only certain things you can pick up from a highlight reel. And what I saw here was a very good understanding of the distance between he and Donald when they were in kickboxing distance versus when they were in boxing distance, which is one of the key things that Jack Slack points out in the piece about the fight with Masvidal. It's one of the reasons I picked Masvidal to beat Donald when they did fight. Um, you know, I, people have always given me flack for what they perceive to be me picking on Cerrone in terms of – I've never really, in my opinion, badmouthed him as a guy or anything like that. It's just he, he fights at a style that is very disadvantageous to his long-term career – and I think we're seeing the effects of that more and more as of late. Um, he likes to mix it up on the inside. He likes to get into dirty clinches and take two to give one at various points. And it's one thing to do that as a lightweight when you're naturally the much bigger guy and being able to take out a lot of these guys and punch harder and discourage them or kick harder or knee harder and discourage them from doing it back. He's an average-sized welterweight. He's not enjoying a crazy size advantage over people, and that was what struck me, too, when he first squared off with Lucas Till in the cage. Lucas Till looked markedly more physically uh, endowed than Donald did in terms of the size of them physically. It looked like two guys from different weight classes fighting. On top of that, Donald's never used his length and his dimensions well. And we saw that here because he fought against the guy who was able to pick him off with boxing techniques from kickboxing range. Now, Donald's never been a particularly adept defensive fighter. He doesn't utilize a lot of head movement. He doesn't utilize a lot of defensive angles so much as offensive angles, which that's a whole breakdown we could give another day. But he didn't move his head. Till was able to pick his pot shots and load up on them when intelligent. And when he hurt Donald, he rushed in and didn't give Donald the ability to counter him with something wild or to get a positioning where he could clinch and buy some time. He loaded up on smart shots, short shots, and ones that he could pack enough into that they were likely to finish the fight and did. Um, Donald really looked off his game. His single leg attempts were slower. As a whole, he looked slower He looked as though the damage he's taken in his career is adding up now. And this is one of those turning point fights where I think it's time to say, we've seen the best Donald has to offer and 
he's going to have to start taking fights against lesser opponents if he wants to come out with a win or be able to rebuild a little bit because his days of beating and contending with top five guys is probably over at this point based on the damage he's taken. And I appreciate how much he's given in terms of entertainment to people, providing great fights on cards that were stinkers and giving you something to talk about. But it's not necessarily the best career path for longevity, and this is what we're seeing. All right, Jeff, you are, again, I say this, you know, because you've made a common knowledge as well. You're a big fan of Donald Cerrone, uh, so I apologize if I'm poking at a wound here, but what did you think about this fight? I mean, in terms of longevity, he's been fighting in the UFC for almost uh, seven years, and he's consistently been um, one of the top lightweight fighters in the world in the most stacked competitive division in the world, where he's generally always come up short in those really major signature fights, uh, the title fights uh, or the title eliminator fights. And you also can't tell me he's never used his range uh, or his length well. When I would say he's 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 shown very defensive uh, performances where he's utilized his range well and fights against the likes of Miles Jury and Eddie Alvarez. Let's also not forget the man beat Eddie Alvarez, who was long considered one of the best lightweights outside of the UFC, a multiple-time Bellator lightweight champion, and the man who later became the UFC lightweight champion. Um, so in terms of longevity, he's had a pretty, if you really get down to brass tacks, he's had a pretty long career. He's had over 40, um, 40 fights. Most of those at the highest level, he's fought in multiple title fights. He's fought in UFC and WEC title fights, and he's been one of the top fighters, uh, in multiple weight classes and very competitive, uh, very stacked weight classes. Now, uh, I think he can bounce back from this, um, but we'll see. I mean, you never you you never know when a fighter is going to start slowing down and when those miles start to add up. Just keep in mind, uh, when Ronda Rousey was at the very top of the mountain of the women's division, we never thought that was going to end for her. She said she I was going to retire. All right, all right. Robert did. Okay. Uh, Pat did. Um, I, no, I was on the Ronda bandwagon. I freely admit right. it. That was a learning experience for me. And and for many of the top analysts, the the top pundits in this business, it was the same with Fedor and Anderson Silva. Uh, before Anderson fought Chris Weidman, I think the the people thought the only realistic way he could lose was to uh, John Jones. Uh, when that was a fantasy matchup, or maybe even George St. Pierre, when that was talked about a lot. So I guess the point I'm trying to make here is, I mean, could could we start seeing uh, Cerrone winding down? Yes, but could he also still have a progressive career after here? I think it's I think it's definitely possible. He's had losses like this before. Um, I see. I would argue he's been soundly defeated before. He looked he looked pretty bad. Uh, in that rematch with Benson Henderson. See that this is this is different in terms of this is different in terms of with the Benson Henderson fight. It it wasn't necessarily so much that he looked bad to me as that Henderson really looked good. This is a situation where yes, Hill did some things, but he didn't do anything that was mind-boggling technically 
or anything that really Cerrone should not have contended with before. And Cerrone, again, there were things about him in this fight that looks markedly different. He did not have any sense of timing. His own speed was really off. His attack, which is usually very quick, very very unpredictable in terms of you can't time him well because of his speed, that wasn't there. A lot of things were just not there that need to be. And that's, that's to me, the difference in a fight like this versus where he's beaten, been beaten by a Jorge Masvidal. That has plagued him his entire career, his entire career, Pat. His entire career. I would disagree. I, I disagree with your disagreement. It's plagued him uh. his entire career going back to the WEC where he just, he just doesn't turn it on or he just looks completely off. Now, I, I'm keeping it open where, yeah, it, it, he, has, he has had a, a ton of fights, a ton of wars, and he's taken a lot of damage, and we could be seeing that set in. But it's, I think it's also possible he can, you know, he can go back. He, you know, he's definitely due for some time, time off. He's one of the most active fighters in the UFC. Um, I, mean, I mean, look at that eight-fight winning streak he once went on in the lightweight division. But in terms of longevity, I mean, he's, he's had a more active, longer career in, in the UFC than most, I would say. Uh, and fighting at the highest level as well. He may well, not, if, 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 you're gonna, if you're going to quantify seven years in the UFC, and we'll, we'll even extend it to, say, like, the last two years of WEC, because I believe that was how long Zufa owned it before they eventually closed it out and turned it into, you know, UFC and merged it. So we can quantify that. But even then, that's less than a decade. And, like, that's that's not necessarily super long, it's not necessarily particularly impressive, and I'm not saying that to knock him. It's just that you're talking about a career, and this is my biggest point with that, that had the potential to go a lot further than it did. And that's my uh, big thing in terms of the longevity due to the damage he's taken. Okay. I mean, I mean he's, he's gone pretty may. far. He's gone pretty far. Look at, I mean, look at Kenny Florian's career. That's I don't think anybody okay, should look at anything for Kenny Florian's career, but... <laughs> Okay, okay. He's, done, um, he's, argu- he's arguably done better than, than Kenny Florian. Significantly better than Kenny Florian. Florian yeah, I don't think anybody can argue that he's better. Or Diego, or Diego Sanchez, who's been in the UFC even longer than Cerrone. Yeah, I, I think the issue, at, if I may, I think the big issue with Cerrone is that, um, uh, how do I phrase this? If his career were managed, I won't say better, but differently, we would probably still have a good four years to look forward to of him competing in the UFC. Because of the style he's adopted, as well as the pace at which he has opted to compete, we're going to get a much shorter period that is, theori- that is peppered with Who him becoming... Who cares about I mean what well, I'm, it, I'm bringing I this up as a sim, I'm bringing this up to explain the semantics you guys are arguing I more mean, than look, I mean, look, anything else. The guys had the guys arguably had a very successful UFC career and and he's fought he's fought at the highest level in multiple weight classes and he's consist, he was consistently one of the top lightweights in the world uh in the most shark infested bloody stack division uh, where he went on a, on a ridiculous winning streak, which hardly ever here's, happens. Here's here's the thing about that though, and I'm not 
I'm not dismissing what you're saying. I'm not. It, it matters. From the perspective of the fighter, nobody wants to be remembered as the guy who was really exciting and fought in this fight, this fight, this fight, but never made it to the top and became the champion or looked at as the best guy who didn't get a title shot due to politics or what have you. Nobody wants that. You're, you're there, whether you're the first fight on the prelim or the main event in the title fight, you're there for one purpose, and that's to be the champion. And when you have the gifts that Cerrone has, the abilities that he had, and you shortchanged yourself by becoming more of an exciting fighter in the mold of an Arturo Gatti style of guy versus maximizing the gifts you had and maybe fighting a little bit less on the exciting side, but more on the side that was going to preserve you from taking that damage and give you a better chance at winning some fights you lost along the way. It's something that you don't want to be known for. Well, and ultimately that's a fight he's going to have to put up. All right. Well, what I would say to that, Pat, is from my perspective, there are always going to be great fighters who are just never going to get to that, who just can't ascend to that level. They're always going to be, and I believe they deserve acknowledgement. And besides that, I mean, look at a guy like Tyron Woodley, who won the title, and he can never, he can never get a good word from you at all. Who you, I mean, you loathe Tyron Woodley. So, I, I mean, I mean, does that I really do, matter to you? Oh. Ultimately, I mean, am I going to rank him right now as a better fighter than Donald Cerrone historically? Yes. From Woodley. So, I mean, to me, it matters that the quality of fighters, their quality of fights do matter to me. And I have said before, and, and Robert can back me up on this, that Cerrone, he just can't win those big fights. And that's always plagued him throughout his career. He's always had a mental a mental block or whatever you want to call it that's kept him from winning those fights. Whenever, whenever he's fighting for a belt, I mean, he's won some big, some really big main events and some key fights. I mean, I thought uh, Eddie Alvarez was one of his better technical performances, and you can't tell me Eddie Alvarez wasn't a top fighter or a good fighter. He, he's also another guy who's not – he's also not a guy who fights a style that's beneficial to him. Eddie Alvarez is another yeah. guy, and I don't think anybody can argue – who is largely a guy who fights more in a brawling, entertaining style rather than a style that's more beneficial right, to him. Eddie Alvarez, but Eddie Alvarez, Eddie Alvarez won the UFC. He's a UFC lightweight champion. He did, he, I mean, he, he did what you're accusing Cerrone of never being able to do. And yeah. And ultimately, he'll probably be, he'll probably deservedly so be remembered as a better fighter simply because he was able to climb to the top of the mountain. And I'm not saying Cerrone is legitimately like a Hall of Fame caliber fighter, but he is, to me, I, I just think his career and his performances deserve recognition no matter what anyone says because he's consistently been um, one of the most exciting fighters the UFC has ever seen. That's, that's fine, and they deserve recognition, absolutely. But is he a Hall of Famer because of it? Absolutely not. Because the Hall of... uh, Hang on, we're getting off track here, guys. Let's. The thing no, is, I mean, there's, the you've got to, you've got to tread that line. Successful. He's had a successful and, and pretty long career. I mean, some guys never get to, to 40 fights fighting at this level. Not to mention. Yeah, but those guys who are always – he's going to ultimately, unfortunately, be remembered as a guy who is maybe pound for pound the most exciting fighter consistently of his era. But unfortunately with that, he's also the guy who was always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And that's what's going to stick with him in terms of 
you know, what he's ultimately probably going to be best looked at as. He's a great, entertaining fighter who was never able to get beyond that, and it's ultimately not as good as being a I winner. Mean, I mean, I mean, he's not he's not the only one. There are going to be a lot. There are going to uh, be a lot a, of guys. That, no, but no, the difference he isn't. He's difference, actually in quite good company. There's a lot of guys that that same thing is true of. Yeah, the Kenny, difference the Kenny difference Florian. to me with that though is that unlike a Kenny Florian. I think Donald was capable of a lot, lot more from things he had shown, and he decided to shortchange himself for entertainment I, value. That's fair. And that's the I, point. And that's the main point. Look, he made it. He made it to the light. He he got to the title level, and he he got to that level. He was on one of the best runs you've ever seen in that division. Undeniably, I mean, he beat the guy. Pro- he, he honestly, the probably guy. the second best run in that division's history. I think only Tony Ferguson can make claim to he a better one at the moment. Champion. He beat the former champion who was the constant thorn in his side in the WEC. He beat Benson Henderson in their in their uh, in their third fight. He beat the the future champion Eddie Alvarez. Um, he got to that level, but to me, it's not. It's to me, it's not the enter the way. It's not. Because of the way he was fighting, uh, it, to me, it's more—it's more that it's the mental side. He's always had those mental blocks, and he's talked about this a lot. He's talked about his anxiety when he gets in there. And to me, it's—it it, it can be. It, it, to me, there's not one single answer. I, I think That's it's a complex it. answer, and it I is. and but he's even with this loss, he's still one of my favorite fighters ever. Uh, he's still an awesome fighter to watch, and he will be until he decides to hang him up. I, I don't think it's possible to have a really bad Donald Cerrone fight. I've never seen one, at least. All right, Pat, he's, I know you're kind of running is, short of time here, so... He is 34. I mean, I mean realistically, he's he's kind of at that tipping point that many athletes get at this point um, when they fought as long as a guy like Cerrone has. Yeah, that's fair. All right, I'm going to break from structure for just a minute here. I know Pat's going to run a little short on time. I want to make sure he has the chance to say anything else about uh, – was there anything else on this card? That was the only fight I really wanted to go into detail on, and I thank the both of you for it. Pat, was there anything else on, from this card you wanted to talk about and then uh, anything from the upcoming one? Uh, not from this card. However, on the upcoming one, there's a, a particular fight of interest for me, which is, of course, the main event. Um Lyoto Machida may be my pound-for-pound pound favorite fighter of all time. Um, and that, that's not something to be taken lightly with me because I've been watching MMA since 1994, really, when I first got UFC videotapes. And uh, Machida was a guy I really loved to watch fight because, because of the style he presented, because of everything that went on um, in, in his fights. I just I had such an enjoyment level of it. Now, he's coming off of a suspension. He's coming off of a devastating loss. And he's at a point, which is ironic to me, which is similar to where Randy Couture was when Randy fought Machida back in 2012. This is a fight where you have a guy who is capable potentially of, because of his veteran instincts, because of certain skills he has, which in the case of Machida would, would be his understanding of distance, his understanding of timing, and his ability to utilize these things to fake people out who are superior athletes, it always makes him a live dog in these fights. The problem is that what we saw against Romero was he didn't have it that night to do that. 
And much like we talked about with this potentially being the tipping point of Donald Cerrone's career in terms of being a legitimate contender, I think that might have been the same fight that we saw from Lyoto Machida against Yoel Romero. And he's fighting a guy in Brunson who is a very, very tough guy with a lot of gifts. He's not the most technically sound fighter, and he's never going to be confused for such. And he's definitely got critical deficiencies in his game. However, do I think that what Cerrone is pre- – or excuse me, what what's being presented here against Machida is something he can get past? I don't think so. I think for all the flaws Brunson has of leaving his chin out, of making just stupid mental errors along the way, I don't think that Machida is in a position to capitalize on them. And I hate saying that because, again, this guy might be my favorite fighter of all time, but I think he's done. And if he is, I say bully on a great career. Uh, he's, he was the UFC light heavyweight champion at a time when light heavyweight probably had its real division renaissance, or at least the start of it. He's beaten some really good names along the way, had some memorable fights, and he kind of reemphasized the art of fighting in terms of what it's supposed to be at its purest. Hit, don't get hit, and win. And I appreciate that so much, and I'm going to miss him. And ultimately, I think Brunson has the athletic ability, the power behind his strikes, and the gas tank to hang in there to avoid falling into anything that Lioto would have caught him with a couple of years ago, potentially, but I don't think he would now. And I like Brunson here to stop Machida. And if that does happen, I ultimately hope that Lioto does retire and call it a career because it's been a great one. And he doesn't need to take any more damage like we saw against Yoel Romero. And Luke uh, Rockhold. Yeah, and Luke that was a gnarly one, too. All right, anything you want to plug, Pat? Yeah, um, thank you both uh, for the show tonight. I appreciate you guys being patient with me as I am short on time. What you can do is listen tomorrow night on the Rattlich and Broadcasting Network. I will be guest starring on the Screaming Boy podcast. And uh, basically you will hear me, Jesse Starcher, Ronnie Adams, talking about the cult classic hit, The Monster Squad, uh, a film I grew up with and have an unconditional love for. Uh, it's absolutely one of my favorite films of all time for its camp value, for so much fun I had watching it as a kid. Um, so you can listen into that. We'll be live tomorrow at 9 o'clock on the Rattlich and Broadcasting Network. You can hear it from me, Ronnie, and Jason. Uh, I, I expect a tremendously fun show. Thank you guys for being here with me tonight. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Robert. Uh, I look forward to listening to the rest of the show when I can, and I will see you both next week. I'll see you then, Pat. All right. Uh, Jeff, moving on to the co-main event from last night's card. Carolina Kovalkiewicz defeats Jody Escobel via unanimous decision, uh, 30-27 twice, 130-26. This one is expected. I mean, I've seen Jody Escobel's run through Invicta. Uh, This this seemed like kind of a gimme. Uh, I mean, it was a get well fight for Carolina. Let's be honest. Yeah. She just picked uh, Escobel apart from distance. Uh, Yeah. I mean, Carolina called out Jessica Andrade after this, which I think would be an interesting fight. 
Um, but I like that. I honestly, it, there's some interesting ways they kind of match up. I would be – they talked about putting that together before. I would be very interested in how that plays out. See, but Carolina Andrade got a feel-good win. Andrade uh, fought Gedelia. She won yeah, she, that fight. Yeah, she smoked um, Claudia Gedelia, could, which shocked me. Um, they could do they could do that fight. I wouldn't be opposed to that fight. Um, but do we know that it, it does Andrade want to stay at strawweight or does she want to move up? Because she did used to fight at women's bantamweight. I think she's planning on staying at strawweight. Um, I mean, she just I mean, beat title. Can yeah. Yeah, I, I honestly, think, if the UFC introduced an atom weight division, she could probably fight there. She's like five one uh, and a half. I mean, she is a. You could easily. I mean, you could easily make that fight. Um, or you, I mean, you don't have to, but that's a fight you could definitely make next for yeah. both women. Uh, next up, Jan Blahovitz defeats Devin Clark with a. I'm calling it a rear naked choke, but I don't think that's actually the most accurate descriptor. It was a bulldog choke. It was a bulldog choke. It that depends on how you want to. Like this is where we get into weird naming schemes. Uh, because normally a rear naked choke involves actual control over the back, which Blahovich did not have. But a bulldog choke also requires a different body position. Well, I mean, again, the, the naming schemes are weird. It, it was a rear naked choke, a figure four grip, but they were both standing rather than on the mat. And Blowovich didn't have his back. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, for anyone calling it a bulldog choke, I'm not arguing. The naming conventions are weird. Uh, this was a pretty significant setback for Clark. Um, he had he was the up-and-coming guy, and Blahovich. Has He's been, an been the performer. one struggling. Yeah, I mean, I mean, his record was was nothing to really laud. He was two and four in the UFC. I mean, that's a sub five hundred record, Robert. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, Clark wasn't. Let's also be honest here. If if, if you were, Clark was a good looking prospect, but he wasn't a world beater either. Um, he was two and one. He lost his first fight in the UFC to Alex Nicholson, who's pretty much a nobody. Um, I attribute but, that to both short notice and the extreme weight cut he made down to middleweight yeah, for but it. Look, but. but look, I mean, I mean, I mean, look. Uh, he got submitted. It happens. If he's going to be something in the UFC, you know, sometimes you. Need, I believe sometimes you truly need a loss to find out how good of a fighter you really are. You know. All the best fighter, all the best fighters lose, and no matter what anyone says, you know, I think I think the loss can truly make or break a fighter's career. But we'll see. Yeah, uh, you know, decent enough stuff from Blahovich. His left body kick is nasty. He did some serious damage to Clark with it, and he should get a lot of credit for being able to grab that choke in that position. I mean, there's things Clark should have done defensively, but uh, you know, he took advantage of an opportunity as it was in front of him. Give him credit for that. I think I, I I don't really see him getting higher than this, so I think he'll always kind of just generally be at this middling, you know, semi gatekeeper level level, not a lower level gatekeeper is how I would consider him. Yeah, uh, and kicking off the main card, Oscar Pihota defeated Jonathan Wilson via unanimous decision, three thirty twenty sevens. I actually think I had this thirty twenty six. Um, Pihota's. Stand-up looks a little lackluster, but his grappling is superb. 
Uh, his transition game, the way he grabs at submissions, uh, this was a – I'd never seen the guy fight. This was uh, this was something. He's got some pretty serious grappling skills that uh, I don't know how far they'll take him, but he's really good here. Also, my phone might be dying on me, so I will that will make things interesting. I think I have a way around that if it actually becomes a problem. Uh, anyway, so Jeff on uh, Mr. Pejolta's debut, what did you think about this? He won. <laughs> All right. As for the prelims, let's see here. Marcin Hell defeated Nasrat Hawkparest via unanimous decision. Uh, 30-27 across the board, which I firmly disagree with. I actually scored this for Hak Perest. Uh, at a minimum, giving held the first round, I think, is wrong. Um, but Marcin Held finally got the monkey off of his back. I imagine Clucky just felt bad about the Lozon fight. Uh, Brian Kelleher defeats Damian Stasiak via TKO in the third round. This was a good little fight, actually. Uh, Kelleher, the way he set up that finishing combination was really nice. Um, Ramazan Amiv defeated Sam Alvey via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. This fight sucked out loud. Andre Feely defeated Artem Lobov via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. You actually could have gone 10-8 in the first. Feely dropped Lobov really hard with a head kick. Artem Lobov uh, sucks. Yes, he does. Uh, Warley Alves defeated Salim Tuhari via unanimous decision, 30-27, 29-28 twice, uh, nothing much here. Aspen Ladd defeated Lena Landsberg via TKO in the second round. Aspen Ladd has a rough first round frequently, but she listens to her coaches, and that can get you a long way. The adjustments she made going into the second were nice. And kicking everything off, Josh Emmett defeated Felipe Arantes for unanimous decision, 30-26, 30-26, and 30-25. Uh, it was a fight. Arantes had an absolutely awful first round, uh, which was a clear 10-8 and arguably a 10-7. He got dropped four times. All right, Pat, any uh, burning desires? Any thoughts on those fights? Pat left. Or wait, is he still here? All right, fair enough. Give me one second. Let me swap phones here. This should work. Well, I have some burning desires. Yeah, there we go. Um, okay, yeah, go ahead. Uh, go ahead with your burning desires. I just had to switch phones. <laughs> thank you, Audrey Feely, for uh, beating Artem Lobov. I don't know if this will be this will be it for Artem Lobov's MMA career. But look, the only reason we even talk about Artem McGregor's partner. He was on the losing end of one of the worst Ultimate Fighter uh, final fights we've ever seen. He's he, his wins in the UFC are being who, who's he beaten? He's beaten Kido Priscilla. Um. In an undeserved main event spot against Cub Swanson, and he just lost to Andre Feely. And I mean, look, I'm not saying Andre Feely doesn't deserve to be in the UFC. A consistent, he's on and off. I mean, look, every fight wins, loses every one here, but every, but then he's just, he's probably going to lose his next one. He won his first uh, UFC fight, and. 
and to me, I just this is why we just sort of need to kind of weed out some of these fighters in the UFC. We need to cut down a few fights because I feel like combine combine a couple of these fight nights together, and we get some re- and we got some really solid cards. And next week is a, is a is a decent card, but I mean, throw throw in Darren Till versus Cerrone, the Kovalev fight, and uh. Uh, on there, and you got a pretty decent fight night card, I think. I mean, you bet you get better than decent, I would say, above average, well above average. Yeah, again, we talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. I'm curious as to what their new TV deal will allow them in terms of scheduling and number of events and flexibility. Uh, all right, that was fight night 118. Thank you to everyone who was up early enough to follow along with me there. Uh, Much appreciated. Uh, Okay, coming up on Saturday, we have Fight Night 119. We already touched on a little bit the main event. Uh, Derek Brunson versus Lyoto Machida. Machida coming off of that uh, suspension, which was... uh, It was kind of dubious, but... He accepted uh, it, so it wasn't dubious. So. He accepted it, but the substance he tested positive for shouldn't be banned, which is why I bring up the dubious nature of it more than anything. But you, I mean, I mean, I mean, that's all we know. Just because, just because you you think it shouldn't doesn't mean he wasn't doing anything wrong, or um, or or he shouldn't have been suspended, Robert. Uh, I mean, if we just, uh, uh, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. That's, that's a whole other thing. Uh, Pat brought up a lot of the salient points here, technically. Uh, I'm going to go the opposite direction as far as his pick goes, and uh, here's why. Derek Brunson's striking technique is pretty bad. Mostly, if you, and if you watch how he strikes, he leans forward, and his chin is right up in the air. This but is a pro- what he does have going for him is that he does have the power to end this in, in one shot. He does. Even and against if a he, guy like Machida. And if he just bulldozes Machida, I won't be surprised. I, I do need to make the, that the very clear. Is, the question is, does he have the skills and does he have the fundamentals to cut off Machida and get a hold of him and uh he is a good wrestler, and Machida has historically had trouble with strong wrestlers in the past. Specifically, uh, Yoel Romero. Uh, I mean, maybe not a wrestler, but Luke Rockhold's a very good grappler, and um, John Jones and Chris Weidman. Yeah. yeah, as as far as this, uh, I, get, I just I have a really hard time seeing Machida missing the obvious target that is. Brunson's chin as he tries to bull rush forward and le- he leads with his chin. I mean, it, it, it's almost comical. But if he's diminished and if the layoff has a big impact and two years is certainly nothing to sneeze at, especially at his age, Brunson could easily win this fight. And maybe I'm being a little overly sentimental here, but I think Machida's going to find a counter punch and just kind of sit him down. Um, might be wrong. I'm prepared to be wrong, but there's really only the two ways this I think, goes. Here's my other thing against Machida. 
I think Nikita has had a very unique and impressive style at times, but I think sometimes that style has been a mark against him because I think sometimes it, it looks like low activity. And that's cost him, I think, specifically against, you know, I think that's why he lost the Phil Davis and Quentin Jackson fights, honestly. Because I think, I think sometimes he's, he, he uses that style and he's active and he's scoring points and he's, getting, and he's getting his shots in. But I think other times it doesn't look like that style doesn't look like it's effective. And I think even if you're a big Machida fan, to me, you can't deny in some of those performances, he looks like he's not really doing anything. Yeah, he's had, he's had weird performances. That's very true. And then sometimes, even when I, even when he's had good performances, I actually really, I still can't believe people scored that fight, the rampage fight for Quentin. It just it it blows my mind. I can but, I can see why though, because he wasn't his best round was the third round. In the first two rounds, he really was not. Maybe he was. Maybe he was more effective. Maybe he he got more shot, but he didn't really do that much in either of those first two rounds. And if Rampage had done a significant enough job providing a counter argument, I wouldn't be baffled by it. But again, like like the Davis fight, I understand. I completely disagree. But I understand why people score that fight for Davis. Uh, the Rampage one is one that I just. That's the one that I just like. I, I don't get, but. And what about the first fight with Shogun? Oh, I love that fight. I honestly don't score that fight when I watch it. It's. I love that fight too, but I love it more for more for Shogun proving that you know. Look, at the time, everyone thought Machida was going to be unbeatable and was going to go up ahead and fight Brock Lesnar. People were talking about that. In People were. Robert. I remember. Okay. All right, Machida um, um, was considered that well, he was that lauded back then, and Hua, who I mean, look, Hua was Hua was seen as over the hill at the time. He was basically, you know, okay, they're bringing in a big name, a guy who used to be like really great, who Machida is just going to come in and going to he's going to steamroll Shogun. Shogun's going to do. He's going to do the job to Machida and make Machida look good for his new title run. And, and Shogun basically showed up Machida and, and proved that the dragon, you can slay the dragon. And by the end of that fight, Machida was on spaghetti. He was standing on spaghetti legs and was taken apart by leg kicks and uh, was totally off of his game by, 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 by really fantastic cardio. He got out cardio by Shogun in that fight. And yeah, I love that fight too. It's just, it's just the story of that fight was how bad it was, you know, Cecil Peoples scoring that fight for Machida and saying leg kicks don't win fights. I mean, and that's and that really, it, as much as it sucks, it seriously marred that fight. Um, no, I, it's me. Too. Yeah, I I haven't scored that. I haven't watched that fight and scored it in a very long time. I should probably do look, so as an and exercise. Look, and look, I definitely like the arguments in favor of Machida Scott because I think for the most part that style it served him well. Uh, you know, in his run to get the title shot, winning the title, it served him. I mean, look, he knocked. Um, he knocked out Tiago Silva and Rashad Evans when those wins meant something. You know? Um, yeah. You know what? I just 
I'm going with you, Robert. I'm picking Michida. Even though he hasn't fought in over two years, Brunson has just been so inconsistent to me. I don't feel confident picking him to win this fight. Yeah, I mean, again, I won't be shocked if he does, but he just leaves such a giant target for a skillful counter striker to hit that I can't pick him here. But again, but, I won't be shocked but, if he wins by he, any stretch of look, the imagination. He did look, look, Michida did look, you know. Michita did look horrendously slowed down, but I mean, look at how Brunson did against Anderson Silva. And yeah, maybe he should have won that fight, but I got to be honest, I don't think he looked great against Anderson Silva either. He didn't. Um, and we'll see. We'll see if Brunson has learned from that fight and if he can move past it. But I don't know. To me, he's too inconsistent. Yeah, he—that's the biggest thing he really does have to fix if he wants to be a elite level middleweight. And it goes oh, back. And it goes back. It goes back to his. I think his earliest days in the UFC, where you know he came in talking a big game. He looks horrible against Chris Levin. Then he, you know, got submitted by. Uh, uh, he got beaten by Oram Romero. He submitted Brian Houston. Then he had a pretty good run. He got. He got up to the top ten. Lost to Robert Whitaker. Looked like crap against Anderson Silva. Even even though well, he arguably looked pretty he bad in that Whitaker fight. That was that. That Whitaker fight was almost comical. Yeah, and that was, but that was like his big opportunity because both yeah. those guys, both of them were surging at the time, and that was the main that that fight was the main event. Um, yeah, so that was your big. big that was going to be the big turning point for either of them. Whoever won right. that fight was going to go right, on to big look, things. And, and, and Brunson is, decided to charge headlong after right. a guy who's pretty good at counter striking. Right, and then and then and then right after that he fought Anderson Silva and. Honestly, if you can't know. beat Anderson Silva in 2016, or I know that was this year, wasn't it? Was, it? 17. It was this year. It was this year. If you can't um, beat Anderson Silva in 2017, there's some reevaluation that needs yeah, to I go on. Don't, I don't feel confident. I don't feel confident about about Derek Brunson here. Yeah. Just uh, your co-main now, event. Now look, could he could he stop Machida? Yes, but man, I just don't feel good about picking that. So Machida. Yeah. All right, the co-main event, this is going to suck. I'll say that right now. Uh, Damian Maya is fighting Colby Covington. Yeah. Um, look, guys, this fight's going to suck. Um, look, I mean, I mean, look. If you really get down to it, both these guys are good fighters, Robert. They are. My, I, I am not. Both, uh, bear, let me rephrase. Both are ranked. Both are ranked in the top ten. Maya's my. Maybe maybe he shouldn't be ranked number three right now, but he is ranked number three. Covington, I think, is legitimately in the top ten. Um, he is. He needs he needs a fight if he wants to compete. Covington could be competing for a title at some point. He, he could, and a fight between Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley might rival Damian Maya versus Tyron Woodley. And look, Maya, and and look, you got to be able to beat a guy like Maya, who ha- a guy who has the grappling credentials that Maya has, who's fought the type of people and beaten the type of people that Maya has. You got it. You got to win these fights. That you can, yeah. uh, you can hang at this level, and. So maybe, I think the good thing is this fight isn't the main event. 
And to me, this is like sink or swim for Colby Covington. And even though you it, don't like this fight, I, I think we need oh, to see I it. Don't. Sometimes, sometimes we need to see these fights happen, Robert. I understand why it's being made, and it's a very relevant fight. I'm not disputing any of that. I think this will be about as entertaining as watching paint dry. And I've well, been known I mean, to enjoy a tactical fight from I mean, look, in my here's, time. Here's the, th- here's, the th- here's the thing. You know, fans try to have, you know, fans, this is kind of what I dislike about MMA fandom. It's like fans like think, oh, like the rankings don't mean crap. Uh, oh, uh, but, then, but then when they make these high-ranked fights, they're like, oh, this fight sucks. And... Well, I mean, yeah, but look at look at look at Damian Maya's credentials. Look at his his record. I mean, you have to you still have to book Damian Maya, whether you like it or not. I I understand, and it you know in terms of ranking and relevance, it deserves to be the co-main event. And I not, genuinely also, hope I'm wrong. Look, not I hope Maya, we get an exciting grappling but, fight. Uh, but I mean, look, not all of Maya and Covington's fights are bad. You know, they, this might not be a terrible matchup. It might not, I and I hope it isn't. I just have a Covington, really hard time right, seeing how that plays wrestler. out, but I've been surprised before. All right. Co- we'll be in the future. Coving- Covington is a wrestler. He's a wrestler, and he fights like a wrestler. Maya is a grappler, and his, and his, his striking has generally always been, it, I, I would say maybe subpar. If not subpar, his striking leaves something to be desired. And it's been like that for really his entire UFC career, going back to the time he got punched out of midair by uh, Nate Marquardt. Nate Marquardt. Yeah, and that fight was eight. That fight was over eight years ago. Okay, and so he's had Maya has had plenty of time to improve his striking. He's just never going to be like he's never going to be that guy. We know that now. Uh, Covington, I think, is a little more well-rounded. Wouldn't you agree? Even though he, I wouldn't call him an elite striker, but he's, I think he's fairly well-rounded. He's at his probably level. more competent with his fists than Maya is. Right. But he's a wrestler. He's still a wrestler at the end. That, of yeah, game. that's all he, that, that is what he does. He likes to get close. He likes to push into the fence. He likes to grind on you. And for me, this fight comes down to who is controlling that position. Because if Damian Maya is controlling the clinch along the fence, he's the one who's going to get the takedowns because even exceptional wrestlers, he takes down from that position. And if he's able to get on top, I think he'll probably wind up getting Covington's back at various points. And we've never seen Covington really have to overcome a tremendous amount of adversity. On the other hand, Damian Maya can be out-wrestled. It's not a common occurrence, but it does happen. Shields was able to do it. The fight sucked, but he was able to do it, pretty much. Uh, yeah, Mark Munoz did it. Um, who's the other guy? Sorry, wrong button. There was one other guy who Maya uh, just tried to Let wrestle. Uh, Roy McDonald out-wrestled him. Oh, um, and yeah. Uh, which was the surprising thing. He, like, legitimately out-wrestled and, like, out-grappled Damian Maia for significant when portions Wyman of that fight. When Wyman fought him, it wasn't even – I recall when he fought Wyman, there wasn't even much in the way of grappling exchanges in that one. 
Very little. Uh, Weidman did a. He, Weidman didn't want to grapple with him for prolonged periods of time. Weidman also took that fight on relatively short notice. He was not able. Uh, I think one thing we, even, as bad as that fight was, he was uh, not able to outgrapple Tyron Woodley. So. No, but and a lot again. That was the one thing that I legitimately think was impressive about that fight from Tyron Woodley was the way he denied Maya forcing the grappling. It, it would, right. it, that really does need to be studied. If you're big into you know the technique of things, look but, at how he stops so Maya's that takedowns. Means, that means, like, if you do that to Maya, you take away his biggest weapon. That's his biggest weapon, Robert. So mm-hmm. if Covington can deal with that, he pretty much has this fight in the back. I'm not really entirely sure Covington is going to be able to. Is I again? I'm, I, I'm prepared. That's fair. I'm I've Covington. got. I've got Maya, and I'm prepared to be wrong about this. But. All right. Fair enough. Uh, all right. We have the next. The rest of this main card. I'm. I think we're just going to do Burning Desires here for the rest of this. Go ahead. Because there's some good fights on this main card. Um, Pedro Munoz versus Rob Font is pretty good. Um, Munoz. Ronaldo uh, Miller. Yeah. So, yeah, we have Munoz versus Font, which is a really cracking bantamweight fight. I actually think I lean towards Rob Font, but I'm not sure about that. Francisco Trinaldo and Jim Miller, it's just veterans who know how to throw down. Uh, Trinaldo coming off of that loss to Kevin Lee. Oh, excuse me. Whereas Jim Miller, uh, God bless him, on a two-fight losing streak. Uh, that's a winnable fight for him, though. Yeah, I'm actually leaning towards Miller, but uh, that and might Trinaldo's, be that. Trinaldo's a wily veteran, you know. Yeah, uh, this this is the fight I'm probably most looking forward to outside of the main event is uh, that fight. At middleweight, Tiago Santos is fighting Jack Hermanson. Somebody's going to sleep. Um, Tiago Santos is a vicious striker. Uh, Hermanson's a good striker, and really his grappling is exceptional. If he gets on top of you, he transitions very well, and he has serious power from top position. Um, That's a good one. Um, I will lean towards Santos. Not sold on that one, though. And kicking off the main card, John Lineker is fighting Marlon Vera. Uh, Lineker coming off of that loss to TJ Dillashaw. And Vera beat Brian Kelleher. Vera's on a pretty decent run. Uh, I lean towards John Lineker because of the style at which he fights and the fact that no, very, not nobody, but very few people are actually prepared for it. Uh, Vicente Luque is fighting Nico Price. Um, that's not bad. I, Nico Price has kind of been winning me over recently. Antonio Carlos Jr. is fighting Jack Marshman. Um, that should be an interesting one. I will actually lean towards... What's old Shoeface done recently? I'll go with uh, Jr. there. Why not? Um, Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos is fighting Max Griffin. I actually lean towards Griffin. Uh, he's had a good run recently. And on Fight Pass, we have Hakren Diaz versus Jared Gordon. That's a pretty make-or-break situation for Diaz, uh, who's lost his last two. And Gordon beat Michelle Quinones. Yeah, I'll go with Diaz there. 
At flyweight, Dieveson Figueredo is fighting Jared Brooks. That's pretty solid, actually. Brooks is a decent flyweight. He's undefeated. I'll go with Jared Brooks there. And kicking everything off, Christian Colombo fights Marcelo Golm. I know nothing of Golm, so I'll go with Colombo on that principle. Uh, all right. Jeff, any burning desires from uh, the rest of those fights? Again, that main card's pretty solid. Uh, Trinaldo versus Miller is a fun fight. Lineker versus Vera is a very good fight for Bantamweight. Um, I like Price versus uh, uh, Luke. I mean, Price is coming off that amazing knockout victory over Alan Choban, who's a this guy I really like. Um, he he submitted Brandon Sachs. Um, so, I mean, he really – he's undefeated and arguably should be 3-0, and but he had the marijuana against Morono. I mean – Marijuana is still a thing. Uh, so there, there are some good fights. Um, yeah, there are some really good fighters on this card um, overall. So those are, those are my main burning desires. All our, right, last, yeah. uh, our last UFC card before uh, the ultimate Bisbing versus St. Pierre extravaganza. I hate that fight so much. But I can... <laughs> I can go into detail yeah. next week when we preview you're it. Gonna, um, you're gonna you're gonna go crazy when you see that fight. <sighs> you're gonna go crazy with joy. No, I might just go crazy, which is not out. <laughs> water it's is low- wet. Water is wet, and GSP beats Michael Bisping. <laughs> I hope so, just because it would be hilarious. And in fights like that, I genuinely root for what I think will be the funniest outcome. Yep. Uh, but that that's a really great card. Um, the rest of that main card, you have Garbrandt and Dillashaw finally squaring off. I I am anxious to see that fight. Uh, you and, have Joanna yeah. and Rose Namajunas, which is a great fight. Stephen Thompson and Jorge Masvidal is a really good fight. And uh, Johnny yeah, Hendricks and... desperately tries to salvage his career against Paulo Bohachinha. You have three great. You have three really great fights on there. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a really good card, and we'll be digging into it in depth next week. Um, as far as Saturday, feel free to follow along with my coverage of UFC Fight Night 119 as usual in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. Uh, Jeff, any major news items you wanted to touch on? I mean, we we missed last week, so anything you feel we ought to talk about? Uh, let me see. Um, um, Conor McGregor was uh, was at the fight yesterday in support of uh, Artem Lobov. Um, so there was that. Um, we still don't know. Oh, uh, what he's going to be doing next? Did we uh, bring up uh, Mark Hunt yet? Um, uh, we did. A... I think a couple of weeks ago it was right after that news broke. Okay. Uh, Demetrius Johnson said he thinks he could beat, uh, Brock Lesnar. What do you think? (laughs) You know, at this point, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, size is is a very important thing, but I, uh, let me put it like this. I would not be terribly surprised if Mighty Mouse were to (laughs) prove the superior of Brock Lesnar. I mean, if we're just going uh, skill by skill, it's not even close. But if they actually, like, squared off in a sparring match or something, 
There's a physical reality to someone who is the size of Brock Lesnar versus the, someone the size of Demetrius Johnson that would be difficult to overcome. Uh, Mike Perry, he has his next fight lined up. Uh, he is fighting uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio. Uh, that fight is happening in December at the Lawler versus Dos Anjos card. So that card is shaping up. Uh, and we got some pretty There's good some fights serious on right violence now. on that card. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's some, I mean, no title fights, but it's a, honestly, I think it's a pretty nice lineup, and just in terms of fun matchups, you have Lawler versus Dos Anjos. That's a Fox card, Anjos. isn't it? It's Fox. Uh, we yeah. have Lawler versus Dos Anjos. That's pretty much a title, an unofficial title eliminator. You have Aldo versus uh, uh, Lamas. That's a good fight for the featherweight division. Uh, you know, may not, I mean, their first fight wasn't, you know, gangbusters, but it's still a good, it's a good matchup. You probably should be booking right now. Uh, just based on where both guys are right now, you have Ponzinibbio versus Mike Perry. I mean, uh, Ponzinibbio, I think is very underrated. Uh, Robert and, um, Perry's the guy who's getting all the attention right now. Ponzinibbio is good and he could win this fight and this could really elevate his career as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's coming off of that real big win over Gunnar Nelson. Yeah, uh, not five in a row. Five in a row for him, for him, and he's seven and two overall in the UFC. So this could be this could be big for both guys' careers, depending on who wins. Yeah, uh, that's a good that's a good fight. I really like that fight a lot uh, for both guys. Uh, we have Bellator one eighty five uh, over the weekend. If you wanna. Uh, Gegard Mousasi made his Bellator debut. He won. Uh, he won a, a, a crappy decision over Alexander over Alexander Shulmanko. So good for you, Gegard. If you want to address that, it was a borderline clucky decision, but yeah, the fight itself was not. I had that for Shulmanko. That's really all I can say about that. Um, and nothing. Nothing else really happened of note on that card, other than. Uh, Musashi, uh, other than Musashi Slomenko. Now, let me. Slomenko, he was like a top middleweight in Bellator. Other than he couldn't, he couldn't even beat Hector Lombard, and he, uh, and he tested positive for anabolic, anabolic steroids. And he's he had more yeah. than one failed drug test, if memory serves. I, I believe you're right. So. Uh, I, I really wish the UFC had kept Musasi and done more to keep him. I I agree. Me. I mean, he was a valuable addition to that weight class. It makes me sad that he's fighting in Bellator and he's probably going to retire fighting in Bellator. I just wish, I just wish that wasn't the case. And Bellator just makes me sad these days. I think. Yeah, and I'm not. You know, I I totally get that. Uh, let's see. Uh, Lyman Good is suing a supplement company. Uh, he is he is claiming uh, tainted products they sold caused him a positive. You saw the drug test. I'm curious how far that goes. Um, I wish him the best of luck. I I just don't see I, I you know honestly I don't I I'm really I really struggle to believe this excuse at all, Robert. I really don't believe these guys. I mean, Daniel Cormier 
he says he takes supplements and he and he's been he's been competing in the Olympics and MMA for a long time. I don't think he never... took any of those supplements when he was competing internationally in wrestling because but I mean, if the for a variety industry, of reasons. If the, sun, if the supplement industry is just this reckless and it's just it this is. Un... all right, but I mean, I, I mean, I just. If 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 all these guys are taking supplements and not having any issues, I wonder why guys that are. I just to me it feels like it should be happening even more than it is. Uh, I don't believe the I I don't really believe these excuses. I'm sorry. I don't believe John Jones. I didn't believe Yoel Romero or anyone else who's trying to. And I don't think Lyman Good's going to get very far with this lawsuit. I imagine the company he's suing will dissolve and rebrand itself before it gets anywhere. And they'll go back to manufacturing supplements out of their mom's kitchen, cross-contaminating everything with raw chicken. All right, speaking of which... Which is uh, not a joke, mind you. That happens. This just happened. So speaking of that, uh, Lil Nog, Antonio Higuero Noguera, who is uh, Rodrigo Noguera's uh, brother... He failed a drug test. He was he was set to fight again uh, yep. in December against on that UFC on Fox card against Jared Cannonier. He failed uh, a possible anti-doping uh, test. Um, he got hit with a potential violation from oh, what I uh, for a diuretic. Now here now now here's my problem. People are like, well, well, why are they testing for diuretics? A diuretic does a diuretic's not a performance enhancer. I'll tell you why, you dumb idiots. Diuretics act as a masking agent for other substances. And they're not you you know, you shouldn't be taking diuretics anyway. Because it's not safe. Um, and diuretics can hurt can hurt you, especially when you're cutting weight for a fight. Um so To me, a, a guy saying, oh, I, all I test the positive for is a diuretic, that doesn't mean you weren't taking PEDs. I'm sorry. And if he was taking a diuretic, he could have been doing that because he was taking other garbage. Could have been. And really, I mean, again, there's a reason diuretics are banned. It's not just because they're masking agents. They make you, it's also they make very you urinate. They make you urinate, and they help you clean steroids out of your system. Noguera, yeah. Robert, Noguera was on the gas. Say it with me. He was on the gear. Noguera was. I juicing. am not prepared to make that particular juicing. logical leap. He at was this juicing. Time. Why was he taking diuretics? Why did he fail? Who knows? For he might have been. He might have ballooned up and is now try, and was trying to get his weight under control for a potential then weight cut. You, I, then why would you take a diuretic? Then why would you take a diuretic at all? Because, because it sheds water weight. It, by definition, it prevents you from retaining water. There's a reason a lot of guys got popped for it when they were struggling to make weight. There's a lot of guys who would use them, and then, that's frankly, there's a lot of guys who got still, who just didn't get caught using them to help them cut weight. Substance. It's still it a is, damn and substance. and you shouldn't be doing it. I'm just – my point is I'm not he's prepared to make the logical conclusion on, that he was on various anabolics. Uh, he's on. He was on something he shouldn't have been on. He got busted for it, and, frankly, I'm – 41 I, years old. He's I'm shocked he's old. still on the UFC roster. I'm shocked he's I mean, still fighting. He should have retired a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, at a minimum, and he shouldn't be in the UFC. And that's the problem. Guys don't retire when they probably should. They don't, you know, they, 
if they get that really awesome win, they just keep going. It was like, like Vitor Belfort. Uh, he's oh yeah, Vitor Belfort. He's got a fight. So Vitor apparently has one more fight left on his current UFC deal. So he's going to fight Uriah Hall in January. <laughs> Hooray! Oh man. As, oh my as long as they both, I have to imagine that like antipsychotics were removed from the banned substance list for those two prior to this fight. Oh man, that might be the um, two biggest head cases in the UFC going at it. Does Does Uriah Hall win that fight? Maybe. If he doesn't, he should not be fighting in the UFC. I'll say that. I mean, I mean, there. He should win Vitor, that fight. Why can't Vitor just retire now? He got a win in his home country. Like you uh, know, Vitor, he, he Vitor's a, crazy. That's really that's really what it comes down to. Vitor's I just a little bit okay. crazy. But, but Robert, this is what I'm talking about. I mean, Vitor is never going to get. He is never going to get a better ending than what he was given at UFC 212. No, never. he is not. Like Vanderlei, he was given the perfect ending against Brian Stan, but he he kept fighting. Um, and had he retired at that point, none of us would have been the wiser. It would have been the perfect ending, the perfect like like the perfect ending to an amazing career. V- maybe this wasn't a perfect ending, but Vitor is never going to get a more perfect ending than that. He's fighting in his hometown. He fought a long-time UFC veteran, and it wasn't a great fight, but he got it on and it went. Now he's going in there against Uriah Hall where, I mean, look, it's Uriah Hall, so yeah, he has a chance of winning that fight, but also it's Uriah Hall, and he can get his head kicked off. I fully anticipate Vitor. I fully anticipate Hall utilizing Vitor's head as a soccer ball. So that fight's happening uh, in January. I don't know if um, the fight's signed. I don't know if that. If the I think all the card details are still being worked out. So that's the other major bit of news. So we got a few fights and a little nog juicer, even though. You're soft on you're soft on all the juicers, so it's okay, Robert. I'm like not prepared to make logical leaps. If it comes out, if if his drug test comes back it's positive not, for various anabolic agents, I'll logical, say he's a juicer. It's not a logical leap to say that diuretics are a masking agent for PEDs. That is not a logical leap. It's documented, and that is one of the main reasons that that um, diuretics are a banned substance, and you know that. And if I was having a fight with Mark, I'd spout that and open him up to libel. But... I have not committed any libel. I know, and it's okay. You're, and, I mean, again, even if you hypothetically had, I'm the one who would be more liable about it than you, and Mark's more liable about it than I am, so I don't know. It, okay. It's uh, weird. One last thing. Dana White was on the TSN MMA show talking about John Jones, um, and and he he says if John Jones gets another long-term suspension, it would be the biggest waste of talent ever in all of sports. Do you agree with agree with that statement or disagree? I would have to disagree just based on the broadness of the category. 
And, because okay, all of sports encompasses so right, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about an all of MMA? Easily. Considerably narrows it down. He is e- okay. Right now, he is easily the biggest waste of talent in MMA. And when you consider just, what he actually accomplished, the fact that I can say that and believe it is pretty shocking. It's just tough. It's just tough to. It's tough to talk about this. When it really. Play. I mean, it's always tough to watch someone, especially that level of greatness. Man, throw it away. It's. Right. It, it was tough in boxing in the '90s with Tyson. It was tough in boxing for various points with Ali. Baseball. It's, baseball. For baseball with. Strong- uh, Daryl Strawberry. Strawberry, man. <laughs> yeah, it's who have, who it's always rough. And, many, and Strawberry probably had just as many, if not bigger, comebacks. But, I mean, yeah, yeah, Daryl Strawberry. Uh, the guy he was partnered with for a while, Doc, his nickname. I watched the 30 for 30 thing on them. Uh, yeah, it's – I can't agree wholeheartedly because I'm not familiar enough with certain sports to really make a comment on – whether or not he'd qualify, like, is the biggest waste of talent if we factor in, you know, weightlifting or tennis. Uh, but in all of MMA, easily. And if you want to include him in the discussion of biggest wastes of talent in all of sports, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with him being in the discussion. Not one bit. And I think what's, I think what's difficult about that is how good these guys are without all of and how good they were without all this, all these things, uh, shortchanging and holding back their careers. So it's scary. It, it, in a way, it's scary to think about how how much even bigger they could have been. Yeah. You know. Without all this nonsense. It so is. There you go. It's a it's a sad thing. All right. On that somewhat depressing note, uh, what do you got to plug? <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm going to be seeing Thor Ragnarok on Thursday. There's no embargo, so I can say I am, in fact, seeing the movie. I will be reviewing the movie for the site. Uh, In the process of doing a write-up of The Evil Within, but you can check out my early preview of that game uh, for The Evil Within 2 for PlayStation 4. Um, Got some other stuff I'm working on. Uh, but mainly the Thor Ragnarok review. And check out my review of Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049 was a, a very good movie, yes. Beautifully shot, very nicely directed. Was it a masterpiece or superior to the original? No. I think the original is is a more enduring classic. I, I, I think to me it's not as good as the original. But it, is it a good companion piece? Yes, I think it is. I think it's worth seeing at least once in theaters if you have the time. So, Robert, go see Blade Runner 2049 at halftime. Already did. Did you like it? Uh, Likes an odd thing to say about that movie. Do you like I agree original? with you. Do you like any any version of the original? Um, this is going to sound really weird because I know it's the worst version of it. There's part of me that has a soft spot for the theatrical cut. No, despite I, I being... feel, I'm, I, I'm the same way. I feel the same way. Um, I actually like the, I think it's the final cut, is my favorite version of the original Blade Runner. Right. Um, As far as this one, it's an interesting meditation. Yeah. Uh, You can listen to Mark and I review it. Uh, It's in the archives. I will check that out. There's a lot good about it. it. 
really, if you like watching um, acting, watch Ryan Gosling in this movie because there's a lot of very subtle stuff that he does that's fascinating. I agree. And um, to me, I just, here's what my thought was like some of the, just some of the, the parts of this movie are greater than the whole. And to me, to me, Blade Runner 2049 fits that expression to a T. And that's why I can't really in good conscience call it a masterpiece, as some critics are, because it's just, over, overall, I think it, it, it doesn't hit all the notes. And there are certain characters and subplots that I feel are either undercooked or just don't really go anywhere or aren't, or aren't well served in the movie, which I think is bad for a movie that's two hours and 43 minutes long. But there are things... Like you said, there are things Ryan Gosling's doing. There are parts of the movie I find very fascinating and and really profound. Um, and that's why I like the movie and think it's it's worth seeing at least once. See, yeah. see, see it at least once and, and see it for yourself. But the original, I like the voiceover in the original, even though that's kind of seen as as a widely derided element. Because it adds to that kind of tech, you know, that kind of noir detective story style that, that I thought, okay, this is sort of a, a futuristic tech noir, and you kind of have that kind of Philip Marlowe kind of hard-boiled detective narration that I think adds to the ambiance and the atmosphere of the movie really well. But I, I, I'm not going to say you're wrong. If you just like that element, you're not, I don't think you're wrong because, you know, we all – have our own feelings and opinions, but I like—I have a soft spot for that version as well, Robert. I think it helps when you realize that the theatrical version and, for want of a better phrase, the director's cut are actually two different movies. Yeah, uh, definitely. But yeah, so I will have to go to the archives and check out your your podcast for Blade Runner. I always enjoy your movie discussions. So thank you guys. Appreciate the time this week, Robert, and I uh, look forward to uh, to the next one. I'll see you next week, Jeff. Bye. All right, I uh, brought it up there, but Mark and I reviewed Blade Runner 2049 last Tuesday, which you can find in the archives in the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. Uh, this Tuesday, Mark Radlich and I will be reviewing Geostorm, because Mark hates me. That's about all I've got. I haven't seen it yet, so no preview uh, for you guys, but I'll see it on Tuesday. I will suffer, because I imagine it's going to be awful. And I like disaster movies. I have a soft spot for that genre, and even I think this is going to be awful. Uh, so th- anyway, Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Mark and I will give that the full treatment. Uh, we will be reviewing Thor Ragnarok when that comes out, uh, which should be interesting because Mark's gung-ho and I am not. Um, but I'm prepared to be wrong. I've been excited about movies that I wound up hating and been unenthused about movies I wound up really enjoying, so... Uh, I hope I am wrong about Thor Ragnarok, but every preview I have seen of that has led to me feeling less and less enthused. And I know I'm in the minority there. So feel free to check out our review when that comes out. Uh, next week we'll be reviewing Fight Night 119 and previewing Fight uh, excuse me, UFC 217, their big cash cow of the year when Michael Bisbing defends the middleweight title against George St. Pierre. God, I hate that fight. All right, I'll see you all next week for that. Uh, Until then, everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing us with your friends. 
And again, as always, I, I know where you can go for this kind of content. I am humbled that you choose mine to, as a supplement to your MMA knowledge and experience. So thank you all very much. Until then, for Jeff and Pat, I'm Robert Winfrey. Please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.